brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. This is going to be a weird couple of chapters. What was it? Uh, 33 and 34? Yeah. And these ones are, well, they're from, both from Rand's perspective, but uh, he's has channeling sickness so there's like at least one scene that repeats several times and it goes all the way back to chapter 31 i think yeah yeah this is the one and they're, they're getting the rides from the various carts and they get the scar the the scene where they get the scarves actually happens twice yeah and then and there's a whole loop back thing so i, I sort of plotted that out the first paragraph of 34 from Rand's point of view he notices that his sense of time is skewed. I think it's sort of purposely confusing. I was trying to read what other people said online about it, and people are like, oh, it's a poorly executed, poorly written, blah, blah, blah. And I, was, and I think, no, it's supposed to be that way. Exactly. He's ill and doesn't know what's going on. You're as confused as he is. Yeah. Well, we've got we've got some new Patreons I want to wanna thank. Yeah, it's just been a, a little while. So we've got Charlie Visco. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Uh, Jed Dews. You're the man, Jed. Awesome. <laughs> oh, is that you, uh, Call Me Hester? Are you Charlie? Yeah, so Charlie's here listening in for the first time. Congratulations. Always happy to see uh, Watrion's listening. That's awesome. Yeah, we're so stoked that this is still building a momentum. Yeah, the week we missed uh, an episode, background downloads started going down because people listen to all the episodes. 
Oh. We, we need to do a little more marketing too. I think it's we're getting to that point where it's. Uh, we did a whole bunch right in the beginning to get some people, you know, just putting our names out there as much as possible. I but, could do some stuff tonight. Yeah, would you uh, get the Instagram thing <laughs> yeah, updated? You haven't posted that in been forever. Dead for a minute. <laughs> get on that, will you? <laughs> that's that's your job. All right, so that's it for the Patreons. Let me check for corrections. Nineveh and Land don't get married until almost two years into their, they meet. Oh, someone's so, just mentioning. Yeah, I just mentioned it because we were talking about how soon it was. So it's apparently about two years. Oh, and then with we talked about Arthur Hawkwing. Yeah. Um, and uh, how many children he had. He had four children with his first wife who all died. The eldest son and daughter from his second wife went to Sean Chan. And the rest stayed around and fought. Gotcha. And apparently Barillon is one of her, uh, his direct descendants. Oh, yeah. And that's why she's uh, the queen in Mayim. Mayim is that it's just territory has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk ever since the war. Of, what was it? The war of hundred years. years. Today was my first day off since the trip. Got so much stuff done. I'm actually feeling good about myself. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the eclipse trip was fun. I I have Monday off, which I'm excited about. It's Memorial Day. Oh, nice. So I get a three-day weekend. That'll be nice. These things in my line of work mean I'm definitely on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you it's you and Jessica both. When you take days off, it just means you exchange them for more other, or less more work days. Yeah, it's you, yeah, that's crazy to me. I don't know how it's do it. I mean, I'm getting the good shifts right now. I've been making good money. Felt okay at the beginning of the month. I was like, oh, rent's gonna be tight. This, but I like actually. Hit like I'm not broke right now, which is what I was expecting to happen. But I've been working every damn day, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> and hanging out with this lady that I met, well, hanging out, hanging out, hanging out. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll wait for it's cool. that. It's yeah, cool. it's it's happening. <laughs> I give it a month at the outside. <laughs> at the outside. Anyway, no expectations. Uh huh. I have been distracted. Though. <laughs> it's totally why I forgot it was Thursday. Because if I was just sitting alone in my apartment, like usual, reading novels, I, that wouldn't have happened. We're surviving. All right. So chapter 33, The Dark Waits. Yeah. And uh, as we open up here, this is like somewhere in the middle of the confusing sequence. Do you want to go over the sequence? Um, yeah. And just sort of straighten things out. We just sort of want to get the timeline straight because we're right now, as we talked about in the previous chapter, in the middle of a flashback. And then there's another flashback inside of that flashback. So yeah. we're, we're basically incepting flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's really crazy. So the actual order of events is kind of hard to tease out from these three chapters. I think Seth did a good job, um, got this right, puzzling out the actual order of events. I think so. We start off with them on the road, just sleeping in hay bales, stealing eggs, getting set on by dogs working for their food right and that was back in chapter 31 that's right they're on the road they go to the uh grinwell farms yeah and that's where they figure out they can actually play for their dinner they can 
play music and juggle and if they do that at an, at an inn they're probably going to make some money play for your supper play for your supper and so they do that for a while until they come to the four kings in the four kings they run into howl goad they are trapped themselves in the room and ran channels to make the lightning appear and never trust a skinny innkeeper again never trust a skinny innkeeper. <laughs> and as they're running away from the four kings they get a ride, and that's where they get the scarves. Right. And that's Alpert? I think it's Albert. yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. Because they, they don't meet Kinch until later. So they get a ride, and that's the next night they pay for a room and get dinner. And that's where they run into Pitar. Yeah. And they run from him, go to the Queen's Man in the next town. That's where Rand starts to get sick, and they run into Fancy Lady yeah. with the knife. They get booted out and have to sleep in the barn. And so then they run from her, and that's where they run into Kinch. And he then takes them to the next town, where they get picked up by... Bunt? Bunt. Who's also a nice old farmer. But Albert Mole is the one who gives them the scarves. Okay. Just sort of, I wanted to establish the timeline right in the beginning that it's Grinwalls, Four Kings, then they run into Pitar, then they go to the Queen's Man, then they run into Kinch, and then they go to Camelon. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. Well, I put my notes in the order, just in the order uh, that I read. Yeah, and I think stuff. I want to go through it in that order, but I sort of okay. wanted, I wanted to Good. sort of establish <laughs> that like, yeah, we were, there. there is an order of events here and we're going to jump around it quite a bit during this chapter because we, there's a flashback inside a flashback. Yeah. And, and that's deliberate. You know, he's trying to make you confused so you feel like you're suffering from the sickness that Rand is suffering from. That's the way I interpreted it. It's not awkward writing. It's purposely confusing. Definitely. And if because you, Rand is confused. And you should read that first chapter, the first sentence of chapter 34, because I think that is very pertinent to all of chapter 33. Should I just uh, grab it really quick? Yeah. First paragraph of chapter 34. It was dark when they reached Carysford. Longer than Rand had thought it would take from what Master Kinch said when he had let them down, he wondered if his whole sense of time was getting skewed. Only three nights since Howell Gold and Four Kings, two since Pater had surprised them in Market Sharan, just a bare day since the nameless dark friend woman tried to kill them in the stable of the Queen's Man, but even that seemed a year ago, or a lifetime. So that just gives us those three nights, a little bit of order. Um, yeah. And then there's some stuff that happens before it. And our symbol is the Heronmark sword. Right, that makes sense. Which I kind of like, because the dark's waiting for them wherever they go. The dark can sense them. Yeah, Seth noticed this really cool thing that he pointed out to me that I had never noticed before. I had um, spent all this time speculating, like, how do the dark friends keep finding them? And at first I suspected, like, maybe Bailsamon is go going into, or not, uh, Elon's going into, um, or whatever you want to call yeah. him. Ishmael. Yeah. Morden, Elon, <laughs> father of lies. Suspected that maybe he was showing images of the boys into into the Dark Friends dreams, but I think Seth has this really good theory that the the Dark Friends because they're attuned to the dark can feel the evil of the dagger, 
which is why we see all these scenes where like Howlgoad walks into the inn, looks around and he like turns to leave even. And then he like turns back suddenly. And he says later, I can feel it rolling off you in waves. Like he's like, I know what you are. And later we see Millie, the dark friend assassin, um, walks into the stable, I think actually to check on her horse. And she like double takes and looks at them and she, she knows who they are. Pater does the same thing. And that's all based off a comment that Moraine makes later, that she's surprised they weren't inundated with Trollocs and Fades and Dark Friends. Oh, well. <laughs> because they should, she's like, they should be able to have sensed the evil coming off. I'm surprised you weren't, you know. And they, they totally them. were. Like, and they were, yeah, a <laughs> yeah. bunch of times. Yeah, totally. So, And we see all the weird behavior. I think we talked about this in last week, uh, all the weird behavior from the just the local townsfolk who aren't even dark friends but they start acting really strange when they come close to matt and it's not just because he's funny looking (laughs) or looking at them funny it's because the dagger is affecting like a radius around him including rand but uh, you know including everyone yeah i think rand again has some protection because he can touch the source yeah and he is touching it now um frequently yeah uh, we start off the chapter with Rand suffering the channeling sickness. And this is a couple of days after, this is after the Queen's Man. This is after the woman with the dagger. This is after Pitar right here in the beginning. So this is the riding in the back of Hyam Kinch's wagon. We start the chapter with Rand waking up. So they've been in it for a, a little while now. Hyam Kinch is the apple farmer in the last book, right? Is that right? Um, the in uh, the Gathering Storm in that first scene. I think that's right. Yeah, I think he's the one. And it is outside of Camelin where that that scene happens, somewhere mm-hmm. in that area. I like that. I like how these like, not even beta, but like way down the line <laughs> characters just show up like way later. That had to have been a Sanderson. Yeah, I mean, it's some. I feel like it's something Jordan would have done, might have done anyway. Sure, or you sure. know, something like that. Sure. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. The at the apple orchards. It's, I mean, it's what made me go, okay, Sanderson's got this. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> that's his, that's his first scene that you ever read written by him. Oh yeah, had a great moment there where I was like, oh shit, Rand's a god now, or something, or something. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I really see. I see Rand's journey. You know, he doesn't just go through the hero journey which is sort of the first three books is him becoming a hero. Yeah. And then there's sort of a couple of books where he becomes a king and then he becomes an emperor mm-hmm. and then he becomes a god. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of think of his journey in those four steps. I like that. Um, and sort of up and through the, up until he proclaims himself the dragon reborn, I think of him as going through the hero's journey. And then once he... Um, becomes in charge of the Aiel and comes back into the Westlands, he sort of becomes the king. Yeah, then he's a... And then he's an emperor where he rules half a continent. And then he becomes a god after Veins of Gold. Is the Aiel waste his first kingdom that's like his? Or... No, because he gets the sword and Tyr. They, in Tyr. That's his first one. But technically the Aiel are there with him because they're looking for him. Yeah. They're the people of the dragon. So that's where he first runs into them as well. Then the Aiel Waste, then Kyrian. Yep. I have highlighted just in the the first paragraph of this chapter, 
Rand's channeling sickness here. Uh, Rand pulled himself out of the straw in the back to look over the side. It was easier than it had been an hour earlier. His arms felt as if they might stretch instead of drawing him up, and for a minute his head wanted to keep on going and float away, but it was easier just to demonstrate how sick he is still. Yeah, he's and but he gets better really quickly, which is another sign of the fact that it's channeling sickness, that it makes you really, really sick, and then it doesn't. Yeah. This is part part of the episode that we see at the end of this chapter, where right. he's like freezing cold, hot, freezing cold, hot, hallucinating. Absolutely. And this is three days after he channels. Okay. So just to establish a timeline, we've had 10 days, we've had seven days, and now we're at three days. So, so the next one should be immediate. Either immediate or... Or, or real close. Or it won't happen, yeah. I don't actually remember that. I honestly think the next time he channels is at the eye of the world. I can't think of it happening before then. I can't either. Because he goes to Camelin. They meet with Moraine. She says, hey, we have to go to the eye of the world. They travel through the ways. Yeah, I don't think he channels at any point. And then, yeah, I don't see him channeling at any point during that journey up until he gets to the eye of the world. I was thinking of the scene where he's sparring with Lan in Shinar somewhere and there's like that wind from the blight, but that's not channeling. That's the dark that, one. That's a bubble of evil. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like the first bubble of evil we find. That's the only other weird thing I can think of other yeah. than all the weird things. And it's like the black wind. And, right. Yeah. And it's in the next book. Oh, yeah. Um, the next thing I have is just noting for the first time or maybe not the first time that Matt is like pulling, it's like a dim, Rand describes it as gray daylight and Matt's squinting and like pulling the, the um, scarf over his eyes. He's still, his eyes are still really sensitive from looking at the lightning. He's regaining some vision. Oh, I was wondering if it has anything to do with the uh, dagger. I don't think so. No? I mean, there's, there's at one point, this quote, Matt's eyes narrowed and Rand caught himself frowning. Not everyone is part of it. It can't be everybody. That sort of eyes narrowing, I think, in suspicion. But the squinting and the scarf, I think, is entirely due to his eyes were burned from the lightning. And he hasn't quite healed from that entirely. Yeah. We see them catching rides. And here there's a dream sequence with Belzaman while they're crouched in some bushes dripping wet and they put the cloaks up in the bushes to try to huddle and sleep there. Well, uh, I think, did you miss the flashback? I see. Uh, his oh, leg, there's a break. Yeah. Yeah. There's a break there. And that's actually where we flash back to the night right after the channeling. So basically we're flashing three days back from where we are currently. Okay. Yeah. And that starts the rain had continued through the night as they staggered away from the dancing Cartman. So basically it shows them traveling three days later with Heimlich and then, or with um, Heimlich. (laughs) (laughs) Heim Kinch. Heim Kinch, yeah. I always think of it, you know how when you're reading things and your mind makes up a name that has no relationship to the word on the page? (laughs) I just always think of him as the Heimlich uh, guy, (laughs) which is not the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, So then we're going back to right after he channels with the rain coming down. And this storm is totally caused well, not caused, but it's definitely worsened, I think, by Rand's channeling. And it was a pretty big storm before. Yeah. 
But I always thought it like it got worse because he used the power. Grabbed onto it. Exactly. They're just in a total panic. Matt can't see. It's dark out. They're afraid that Goad is after them. Yeah. And so they run as far as they can, as best they can. And Rand says he's thinks he must be dead. Goad. Which I'm not sure what happens. Because at, at the end, when they leave the, the dancing Cartman, there's the man standing in the doorway. But we don't know who it is exactly. And then Rand thinks, thinks he's dead here and but in in the dream sequence right after in the uh, dream shard i guess we see Balesamon execute goat but he doesn't look alive i have this underlined uh goat skin was red burned and cracked and oozing but this is in the dream shard so he could he could be there he could yeah there's there's a couple of options here goat could be just asleep and unconscious and Balesamon could have pulled him into the dream shard yeah that's one possibility. The other possibility is he's dead and the Dark One has captured his soul and has given it to Baalzamon to mess with. Because he's a Dark Friend and the Dark One can do that to Dark Friends. Yeah. And I think that's probably the more likely situation that he, he died. I, I think so. Um, Goatskin was red, burned and cracked and oozing. His face was almost a skull, his lips shriveled to bare teeth and gums. As Goad turned his head, some of his hair cracked off, powdering to soot when it hit his shoulder. Yeah, so he's not alive. Or not naturally alive. I, yeah, you know, I, he could be, um, you know, like Two-Face. Yeah. He's like with half his face burned off, but still alive, unconscious, in a coma. Preserved. Yeah. Just die. Yeah, sure. Maybe he's dying or something, but not quite dead yet. Yeah. I don't, there's too it many possibilities held there. Yeah. Or, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And even he could be physically pulled into Teleran. Like that's true too. Belzaman yeah. could just bring him there and keep him artificially preserved. Possibly. I don't think that's what happened though. I, yeah. I don't Cause I don't so think Belzaman is physically there. I think he's just pulling him into a dream, whether that's his soul after he's dead or his unconscious body. I don't know. Oh, well, Right after that, Goad's lidless eyes stared at Rand. So you are dead, Rand said. He was surprised that he was not afraid. Yes, said Belzaman's voice, but he did find you for me. That deserves some reward, don't you think? So Belzaman says he is dead. Father lies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't, you can't trust it. You, you just can't trust it. I look a little bit at the reward he gets here. I mm-hmm. think Belzaman does see it as a reward. He wipes Goad out of existence, and for Ishmael... That is the ultimate reward. That is his whole goal, is to destroy existence and to not exist himself. Yeah. There's something funny that happens in a second. Right before that, um, Bilzman says a couple things. You know, the standard, you can't hide from me, I'll always find you. But I made a particular note of this. Belzaman says, what protects you also makes you vulnerable. One time you hide... The next, you light a signal fire. I was wondering a bit about that. He means channeling, right? I think so. Yeah. He's like, you you run and hide and blend in with the country folk masses, and then you blow up, blow half an in away with a uh, 
lightning strike. Yeah, and a huge amount of channeling power that I think that Balesamon would be able to sense. Yeah, and if not, there's a bunch of Miradrawl around and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, then they sense channeling just fine. But it does protect him a little bit. Sure. They know that's, that. I mean, that's the only reason he made it out of there. Yeah. The other reason he's vulnerable is that because he's a channeler, he can be turned with the 13 Murdral 13 channelers trick. Yeah. So that's another way in which channeling makes him vulnerable. True. Double meaning there. I didn't think of it that way, but I like that. What protects you also makes you vulnerable. Oh. Yes, my good hound, here is your reward. Ram looked at Go just in time to see the man's body crumble to dust. For an instant, the burned face held a look of sublime joy. That turned to horror in the final moment, as if he had seen something he waiting he did not expect. I think Goad was expecting some real sort of reward, or, you know, some actual, some kind of tangible reward, like being brought back to life, for instance. You know, we see a lot of dark friends have that look of horror right before they die. Um, and I have to wonder if it's sort of realizing the dark one. The dark one greeting them. Has them. Because, I mean, he probably thinks that Baalzamon is the dark one. Yeah, I mean, everyone, well, not everyone, but Rand and Matt think that Baalzamon is, is the dark one. Baalzamon thinks he's the dark one. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> he's point. a little nuts. Um, <laughs> and convinces a lot of people of that, especially the dark friends that he seeks out. Yeah, uh, I like that. As if he had seen something waiting he did not expect. The true That's dark pretty one. literal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Grabbing him as he dies. The dark one's waiting there for them. I don't know if we've talked about this, but the fires in Beelzemon's mouth and eyes, mm-hmm. those are just advanced saw from using the true power all well, the time. Yeah, I think we've talked about that okay. a little. I, he's the only example that we see of that. I don't think anyone else has used the true power for long enough to get there. No one else is crazy enough to use the true power exclusively. We see saw. Yes. Is that how it's pronounced saw? Saw, S-A-A. I don't want to bring it up again here because... You know, they talk about the fires in his face heating the room. Um, And I think that's when he, like, embraces the true power. I think the fires flare up. Oh, yeah. I think that might be. Does the saw do the same thing? They definitely go faster when he's channeling across his eyes. That makes perfect sense. And then I like this quote. Alive or dead, youngling, you are mine. The grave belongs to me. Easier dead, but better alive. Better for you, youngling. The living have more more power in most things. That sort of explains why Balzamon doesn't necessarily try and kill him. Yeah. And we also get that scene later where he's playing chess and he sort of talks about the Fisher King and a bunch of stuff like that. Do you remember that scene? Mm Mm-mm. Oh, okay. That's when he's moored in. I gotcha. And he talks about how he tried to to capture the Fisher King and, and that ended painfully for him. And then he like holds his chest. <laughs> or he so he definitely, um, he talks a lot about his strategy, but this is one of the where, places where you sort of see like what his real goal is. His goal is to turn Rand and he wants him alive because he's more powerful. Yeah. And, and turn Rand voluntarily. Like yes. he wants Rand to volunteer. Otherwise, like he says here, um, oh, I guess he says better alive than dead. But if they, if he's turned forcefully, he's not as useful. Yeah, and we get something later that there's something missing. They're not as vibrant when they're turned forcefully. Something takes their place that's not truly as creative. 
Yeah, that's that's what the phrasing I was going to use. Mm-hmm. Like their creativity's gone, and they're just uh, kind of a automaton of the dark, like a Cybermen. Yeah, yeah. The Borg, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, there's, there's more Star personality there, I think, than the Borg. Um, yeah, I think and, so. And, but there's still there's somewhere in between where you lose a lot of that sort of spark that makes people people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this one, I was going to say, we see this funny thing again. His fist opened and a ball of flame shot out. It struck Rand, Rand in the face, exploding, searing. Rand lurched awake in the dark. So, And we see Baalzaman injure Rand over and over again in these dream shards, but he's never able to actually seem to do any damage to him. Yeah. Here it says, the skin felt tender as if sunburned. And we see we see this happen to Perrin mm-hmm. also with the that's the um, Perrin's eyes get pecked. I think that happens a bunch of times to different characters. And when Rand wakes up, um, suddenly you realize Matt was twisting and moaning, um, yelling, "My eyes! Oh light, my eyes! He took my eyes!" Uh, and so you know we get the Matt losing his eyes reference again. Oh yeah, definitely. I love that. <laughs> um, a little foreshadowing there. There's a lot of foreshadowing with Matt between the scarf and the losing his eyes. Oh yeah, God, the scarf. The I scarf. didn't even think of that because he wears a scarf <laughs> most of the series. So I, I think, I mean, I figured Belzimon's doing exactly what he did to Perrin to Matt, where like the um, the old raven beak in the eye. That could be part of it. Yeah, that's or, just what I assumed. It yeah. doesn't say that, but. He took my eyes. I I wonder if there's something where he's actually like taking the eye. Oh, maybe reaching in and taking the eye, which would be even more foreshadowing for when he ends up in the tower and the alefin and elfin snatch his eye right out of his face mm-hmm. with their fingers. Man, I I don't think I ever fully appreciated this before. Like how brutal some of these scenes are. Um, like where you know Matt gets his eye pulled out. Like physically oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know that, that what you were just referencing that's way later of course sure man i i had an ache in my eye socket for, <laughs> uh, at the first time i read that my whole face hurt i swear i mean i just ooh, that creeped me out um yeah well, when rand is hallucinating later or i think he's hallucinating and lan is talking to him at one point and he's like in mid speech like this blood starts bubbling out of his mouth and pouring down his chin i'm imagining that's like i don't know i don't think i really appreciated just how metal that was before like how if you really visualize it really brutal yeah and but he doesn't these disturbing things happen but if you don't really look at what's happening you can skip right over it without realizing just how brutal and over it because he's not graphic yeah yeah it's all about people's reaction to things more so than the physical bloodiness of it Uh, yeah i i agree with that um i don't know i guess in in this reread i'm just uh have been doing a bit more like thinking and visualizing and that like Especially like watching Game of Thrones, oh, been, I just yeah. I just got all the way caught up, and like you know, there's some really crazy, brutal scenes in that. But some of this stuff, like if if this was on screen, like the blood coming out of the mouth, that's oh, like really the dream, dark. The dream sequences and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's not like that's not even half of like some stuff. Some of the other stuff. Oh, there's just so, some blood out of the mouth. That's there's nothing. so much to pull from. <laughs> there's so much to pull from. All the visions and they could do. They could get as bloody or as sexy as they want. 
Yeah. If they want totally. to. I'm not sure that's the right way to go. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah. I mean, that's definitely wasn't Robert Jordan's intent. He like doesn't really bring it there. And I mean, he doesn't really bring it there in a really graphic way. That's what makes him a good author is that he can write these scenes without depending on the shock value mm-hmm. and the overuse of like bloody adjectives. It kind of makes me, it kind of reminds me of some of the like um, earlier Kung Fu type genre stuff where someone gets stabbed with a katana or something and just a drop of blood comes off the blade and mm-hmm. the like earlier styles where it's not like this blood everywhere type deal. There's just like a, it's enough so that you know what's happening. You know, he writes sex in the same way. Yeah. Where you know what's happening, but he doesn't have to describe every intimate de- detail of you. Right. We don't get pages of, you know, yeah. He saves that detail. for the clothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we get pages of detail on yeah. is the clothing interesting that someone was saying as the way Jordan is about clothing Martin is about food but if you go and read the Game of Thrones a lot of his like lengthy descriptions is about like the meals people are eating oh weird yeah <laughs> not that Jordan doesn't have some of those himself sure there's, there's an occasion where I'll be reading it and if I'm hungry I'll be like oh man that sounds I think I did that mm-hmm. in an earlier podcast where I was like that sounds really good you go for some mutton <laughs> it's mostly just like the pies and the cheese and the oh, <laughs> it, all, it all sounds delicious wine constantly it's amazing everybody isn't drunk all the time maybe they are <laughs> Matt's certainly a big drinker especially later there's a a lot of subtle sexual stuff that goes on throughout the whole thing i like that it's subtle i like that the focus isn't on the gore as like as mm-hmm. i feel like that's almost like uh i don't know exploitative the sex to me feels very much part of their lives not the point of their lives yeah and like part of the story not the point of the story kind of like real life yeah depending on your life it's true that some things change as we get older But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier 
about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. I come on another village um, and then I have an hour beyond the town. A farmer gave them a ride in his half-empty hay wain. Ran had been taken by surprise while lost in worry about Matt. Matt shielded his eyes from the sun with his hand, weak as the afternoon light was, squinting through slitted lids even so. And he muttered continually about how bright the sun was. When Ran heard the rumble of the hay wain, it was too late already. The sodden roan dead in the sound, and the wagon with its two-horse hitch was only fifty yards behind them, the driver, driver already peering at them. To Rand's surprise, he drew up and offered them a lift. Albert Mole was a stolid man, with a square face and square hands, both worn and grooved from hard work and worry. I like the descriptions of the farmers. They're always made out of leather and... Salt of the earth. Oak roots, yeah. Albert com- is complaining that none of his... That he's never... Hasn't had to buy hay in, like, decades or something. He just grows his own, and this is the first time he's ever had to do it. And he couldn't even buy enough, and old Bane... I'm making air quotes. Old Bane would only let him have like a, not even enough to fill the wagon. Would only let him buy very little. We're suffering a late winter still everywhere, and this is hardship is spreading. Food is getting rare. Things aren't really sprouting. Sprouting. Yeah, and we see references all the time all throughout the time. The, these chapters. I just kind of just have started skipping over it. You just sort of get a constant drumbeat of things are not going well. Something is wrong with the earth. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, we get a lot of where, La- where Land's hallucinating and says the dragon is one with the earth, the earth is one with the dragon. Yeah. One thing to pay attention to in the series is how the land mirrors Rand. And when he's sick, the land is sick. When he is cold, the land is cold. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah Rand is one with the land. Hell, his name is basically the same thing. <laughs> um, and this is where we get that paragraph that's mirrored in the beginning of chapter 31. Albert Mole says, I don't know what you're running from. I don't want to, you understand. My family. Suddenly, he pulled two long woolen scarves, dark and thick, out of his coat pocket. It's not much, but here. Belongs to my boys. They have others. You don't know me, understand. It's hard times. We never even saw you, Rand agreed as he took the scarves. You are a good man. The best we've met in days. The farmer looks surprised, then grateful. And just, you know, if you're confused, that is the exact same scene that happens, they reference in the beginning of chapter 31. Yeah. In case I haven't repeated that enough times. <laughs> we, I think only with Seth's help was what did I really start understanding the timeline. I just said, at some point I realized what was happening and I just sort of shrugged and I was like, well, let's just uh, <laughs> plow through this. I don't really, couldn't, couldn't really figure out the, the exact order of events, but I just sort of appreciated that. Ram doesn't either. No, and he's in it. Yeah, yeah. It, it took a bit of a bit of pulling apart to figure out what order everything happens in. But yeah. they do they do reference. They do tell you what happens before, so you can always go back and reconstruct. I tried order. googling it, and I I don't think anybody has really done any much of a job. I saw a, f- a few people try some attempts, but it didn't really help me very much. Yeah. Um, you know, the Wheel of Time FAQ is really my Bible. They've been going for so long and they have so much there. Yeah. Um, and I used to read it over and over and over again. 
I just read people debating in forums like 10 years ago sometimes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and it's actually fun. really helpful in a lot of cases. Yeah, because in a lot of cases, they didn't know what we know. And we can be like, oh, you're wrong there. You're right there. Like, we found these things true, out later. Oh, I, oh, okay. So I got to bring this up. I was listening to Lord of Chaos. Okay. <laughs> There's a scene between Grendel. Oh, is this what you texted I me I texted about? me, yeah, because I was so excited. It's a scene between Grendel and I think Sam Samuel? Yeah, Samuel, the guy with the scar. Mm -hmm. It's from his point of view, and he's she keeps doing these things, and he's like, what the... Listen, I don't care what you're talking about. I just want to know what's going on with the Mandred. And she's like, well, let me show you these dancers from Shara. Why do you keep talking about Shara? I want to know where Demandred is. You know, and she just keeps bringing these things out that are that are related to Shara, and she's like, "Oh my God, you're an idiot! I'm telling you exactly where Demandred is." Is she trying to get him to go assassinate Demandred? Um, she's manipulating him a little bit. I think she's more just like it seems showing like something off a little she would bit. Do. Yeah, it's I, I need to definitely get some context around that scene because I'm not sure what her exact motivations are. She's definitely sending. Samuel after Rand. But I think she's also kind of flaunting that she knows exactly where Demandred is. And from what we know, I think going back and reading that scene, knowing Demandred is in Shara, knowing that she knows he's in Shara, it is so obvious. Or we just left off, they get the scarves again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they walk a while. And they come to a village. His hand slid into his pocket, feeling the coins there. When are we going to stop? Rand says, when we get to somewhere warm. Oops. They just finished thanking the driver for giving them the scarves. Rand calls him a good man. They come so, upon some village lights and walk up to this inn. Yeah. Do they give the name of the inn? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Give the name of the innkeeper, Rulin Allwine. A good omen. I like that if you sort of say that, he's the ruler of all wine. Yeah. It's a heck of a name, innkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruling all the wine. Ruling all wine. <laughs> and he's fat, of course. Yeah, I, I'm totally underlined. Rand was glad to see he was a stout man. He doubted if he would ever again trust a skinny innkeeper. I just, I don't know why I like that repeating thing so much, but I really do. That's a good one. I even think about it in regular life. <laughs> I have a, a pub I go to all the time that's right by my house. And the guy that runs the place is, was a cook by trade. Like, that's how he got started. And he's like a really big, like, hefty dude. And he like moves slowly and. I, I'm just like that. That's a good innkeep right there. <laughs> that's a guy who knows food. I'm thinking um, <laughs> in Stranger Things, Benny, the uh, cook who gets killed like right in the beginning. He's got like one scene. Oh, I don't remember. And then he gets shot. And he's just, he's, I love him. He's like, he steals the scene before he dies. There's just, there's a lot of repetition in these chapters. They're riding carts. They're staying at inns. I think it's deliberate in that, not only are we jumping around in time, but we're experiencing the same things at each of those times. It's yeah. very hard to keep track of what's happening in this chapter. Oh, even, yeah. even having laid it all out, even reading it multiple times, even looking at it step by step. I think we're having trouble just moving forward in the story with this one. I still can't really say that I fully understand the timeline, but 
they Rand. This is where Rand wants wants to buy a night's stay, and he hears the price. And so this is one night after Four Kings. Yeah, yeah. When Master Allwine mentioned the price, though, his eyes widened, and Matt made a sound as if he had choked on something. The innkeeper's jowl swung as he <laughs> as he shook his head regretfully, <laughs> but he seemed to be used to it. Times are hard, he said. There isn't much, but what there is costs five times what it used to. It'll be more next month. They uh, pretty much, this is the last of, just about the last of their money, and they spend it here. I mean, they have to. Matt can't see. Yeah. They're on the run. They've run all day. They don't want to juggle or play the flute because that's how the Merdral has been tracking them. They're starving and soaking wet. Right. So it's it's time to spend some of their money. Yeah. And so they, they spend the night. They get a night's sleep here. Mm-hmm. And they go to bed in their wet clothes with their weapons clutched in their hands. And Rand has not suffered the sickness at this point. That's right. He's Matt is still blind, but Rand is not sick. Yeah. So we're in that three-day grace period before he really starts to, to feel it. They shovel down their food and go straight to bed. And next scene, they wake up in the morning, go straight to bed with their wet clothes on. And mm-hmm. Rand mentions that he sleeps with his sword. And when they wake up, hey, Matt exclaimed, I can see. He sat up in bed, squinting around the room. Some, anyway, your face is still a little blurry, but I can tell who you are. Which is good that he's starting to get his eyesight back. Because yeah. he's going to need to help out Rand here in a little bit. Oh, yep, here it is. Rand did feel good. They were a day away from Four Kings, and none of Goad's men had showed up. Light, when I see Moraine again, I'll kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed at the thought. <laughs> uh, does he ever kiss her? Does he kiss her when she shows up after being rescued from the Aelfin and the Aelfin? I don't know. I don't remember. I, I just had that thought. I was wondering if maybe, maybe he did then. He felt good enough to invest some of their dwindling stock of coins in breakfast, a big loaf of bread and a pitcher of milk, cold from the spring house. They were eating in the back of the common room when a young man came in, a village youth by the look of him, with a cocky spring to his walk. And this is Pater. This is dark friend number two. Yeah, I should probably just read this, because this is what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. The young man's eyes swept jauntily around the room, but when they lit on Rand and Matt, the cap fell off his finger. He stared at them for a full minute before snatching the cap from the floor, then stared some more, running his fingers through his thick head of dark curls. Finally, he came over to their table, his feet dragging, and he tries to talk to them. And this, I mean, he's just, he comes in, he's sort of, he's feeling some evil, he looks around, you know, and he sees them, and he's like, oh my god, that's that's who I'm supposed to be looking for. I forget the exact order of events, but this is this happens three times, at least, where a dark friend walks into the room and's like, what? Three nights in a row. It happened last night, the night before this with Goad, mm-hmm. this morning with Pitar. Yeah. And then it happens again with the lady the next night. Millie. Matt stared at the fellow as he drew the chair to the table. Rand could not tell if he was glaring or just trying to see clearly. In any case, Matt's frown had an effect. What's your name? Rand asked. My name? My name? Uh, call me Pater. His eyes shifted nervously. Uh, this was not my idea, you understand. I have to do it. I didn't want to, but they made me. You have to understand that I, I don't. Rand was beginning to tense when Matt growled, Dark friend. Pater gave a jerk and half lifted out of his chair, staring wildly around the room. But nobody hears at this point. Well, there's just the old man. He's over in the corner. Yeah. And uh, he's just like, Dark friend. <laughs> they're they're yeah. so used to it at this point that, well, you know, it's pretty obvious. I didn't want to, but they made me. The fact these dark friends, they feel the darkness coming off of them in waves. And mm-hmm. so they think there's some sort of kinship there. 
Yeah. You know, Goad talked about how they were, you know, alike. Um, and here, I think this is, he's sitting down because he's sort of like, what's up, bro? Yeah, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> like, I didn't want to come see you, but, you know, they made me, so. Uh, yeah, they're like, I, yeah, probably. He's like, you know, you uh, you have to report to so-and-so, yeah. like. <laughs> just, yeah, he does seem to be like, hey, I'm just doing you a favor. You let me know you got the gotta, memo, yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> They're pretty yeah. pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna need you come into Shale Ghoul on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reference. Did, did, Fucking did, lumber. Did. <laughs> so they gulp down their food, and they're just trying to get out of there because they don't want to. They don't want to deal with him to carry information back. They're just trying to, you know, basically stay away from us. We're getting out of here. Yeah, Rand starts kind of yelling at him, like, "Leave us alone! Tell your friends we don't." want to talk to them. Matt threatens him. He says, if you don't leave us alone, I will tell everyone what you are. Mm-hmm. Pater persists and then Rand punches him in the face. <laughs> and uh, we see him later with a broken nose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just in like a few chapters. Again in Camelin. Okay. Ah, I totally missed that. Oh, way later. This is when Mergase is in Amadisha. Oh, I had no idea that was the same guy. The guy and his uncle who try and get Morghese out of the child, from the Children of Light and then gets hung. I had no idea he was actually a dark friend. I've been making a habit of looking up minor characters. It's in Lord of Chaos, chapter 31. Yeah. So he shows up again, you know, six books later. And he appears to have had his nose broken at some point. And I think... I that's guess Rand. The, yeah. Yeah. That's, right now. that's clever. I did not catch that. <laughs> Good catch. Thanks. Yeah. Where Rand's thinking how to leave the inn. If Peter discovered that Matt was almost blind, he would tell the others, other dark friends um, here. Once Rand had seen a wolf sep- separate. Once Rand had seen a wolf separate a crippled chief from the flock. There were other wolves around and he could neither leave the flock nor get a clear shot with his bow. As soon as the sheep was alone, bleeding with terror, hobbling frantically on three legs, the one wolf chasing it became ten as if by magic. The memory of it, of it turned to stomach. They could not stay there either. Even if Pater was telling the truth about being alone, how long would he stay that way? Time to go, Matt, he said. And I guess I just kind of wanted to bring up... Uh, Pater keeps saying, like, just listen to me, and they're like, leave us alone. Images spun in his head. The trollic, narg leaping at him in his own home, the mirror threatening at the stag and the lion in Berlan, half-men everywhere, fades chasing them, and so on. And I, I kind of wanted to bring up PTSD again. Well, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Where he's, like, feeling threatened, backed into a corner. He f- remembers that time, this time with the, the wolves separating a sheep from the flock. and He's reliving some of his worst memories. Yeah. And it all kind of boils up, and then he punches Pater in the face, and they bounce. I don't think you can get away from PTSD with Rand. Yeah, it's there forever until he heals his own mind later. Way later. Way later. But I I really do think that part of what Jordan was trying to write was a character study into PTSD after his experiences. We see it a good deal in this book. Mm -hmm. There's another thing I never really appreciated until this reread where he, um, like especially in this scene. Um, And so that, (laughs) that pisses off Peter so much that he basically... Uh, outs gives himself. himself. Yeah, outs yeah. himself. He's like, the Dark One will get you. 
the great Lord and then the of old the man drops his mop <laughs> <Yeah>. or his <laughs> he like finally realizes what he, the punch didn't shock him maybe that's what got his attention but then like <laughs> yeah and then and then Peter's sitting on the floor and yelling about the great lord of the dark yeah is stronger than you the shadow will swallow you there's a gasp from further into the common room and the clatter of the broom handle hitting the floor I'm like shit we all have to get out of here <laughs> yeah. Peter runs first and then they're like mm. And and Matt has a scene where he's starting to get a little hopeless. That sort of that despair and hopelessness is starting to well up more and more and more. You know, he's right on the edge because when he gets once he gets to Camelin, he won't mm-hmm. even get out of bed. Yeah, and that's only a couple of days away. Blood and ashes, Matt growled. They're always there, always right on our heels. We will never get away. And Rand's, Rand's like, no, they're not. You know, we've just got this one idiot to deal with. They're coming, <laughs> but right now we've just got this one idiot. So they they take off basically as fast as they can. Yeah. Um, They're getting a bunch of rides, hopping on farmers, carts who are laughing at all the stupid stories coming out about dark friends. <laughs> no dark friends in our town. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Dark friends in Market Sharon was the best story you heard since Ackley Farron got drunk and spent the night on the roof of the inn. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten drunk and spent a night or two on a roof. It's not, <laughs> not a bad way to go if it's nice outside. And then there's, you know... Just like we see with rumors that happen all the time, the next guy has a totally different story. You know, we're, we're a day away, hours away from the event, and we get everything from a ridiculous fool to um, med w- men with twisted bodies. And um... Yeah, here's, here's a, another thing we see throughout the book, like how rumors change mm-hmm. th- and the as game, they travel. The great game of telephone. Yeah, yeah. they hear about themselves and the most ridiculous stories. <laughs> <laughs> And, and which comes back to one of the central themes in the opening paragraph, which is um, memories fade. Yeah. Myth becomes legend. Mm-hmm. And, and or... I think we're seeing that in real time. Yeah, yeah. So we come to uh, another village, and they check into the Queen's Man. I noted here as they uh, come to the Queen's Man... Strange to think of the wine spring in as small. Vancouver remember when he thought of it was about the biggest as any building could be. Anything bigger would be a palace. And we're just kind of seeing that the beginning of this sort of change where they're like just becoming accustomed to the idea of what an urban environment looks like. Rand says at some point also that he thinks it's sort of bizarre that at no point are they out of sight of like lights in a farm now because they're getting so close. Sure. Urban sprawl. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But they're totally unfamiliar with it. But I think they're starting that. to think of, instead of their village being the whole world, Yeah, their village is now just another small village. Yeah, they're, re- they're realizing that they grew up at the edge of the world, pretty much. Basically. <laughs> and you, can't, you, can, you can never go back. I mean, and, and because it's not the place that changes, you change. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really kind of funny if you think of the three boys as being a bunch of... Uh, rednecks coming out of the farm like coming out of west virginia yeah they really pretty much are which wandering down out of the hills with hay in their ears yep. some character says that at some point men i'd assume I, I think it's um the gatekeeper in oh that's uh, right is it bear lawn yep yep that's <laughs> the one like, mistress alice are you, are you, are you what collecting collecting down country folk. Down country, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I was gonna say down river, but down country. Down yeah. country folk with hay in their ears or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you laughed a lot at that one 
in that chapter too. Yeah, I like that, <laughs> I like that character. <laughs> we get to see the sickness start to affect him. Yeah, this is where it gets. I think this may be the worst we ever see it. Well, this here he gets sick rather than giddy or careless. You know, it's a yeah. little different every single time. That's true. They walk into the inn. The innkeeper's like, yeah, there's no room. He's, he's like, I can charge you an exorbitant price to sleep in a bed with a stranger, pretty much. Actually, before that, um, I wanted to say, after a moment, Rand nodded. He felt as tired as he had at any time since leaving home. Just thinking of a night in the open made his bones ache. It's all catching up, all the running, all the looking over your shoulder, so that his bones are starting to ache. He's starting to feel it as they come up to the inn. Rand gives a spiel. Rand gave a spiel with a feeling of queasiness. Yeah, so he's he's really not feeling very good. Yeah. yeah. And they sort of pass it off as he's worried about all the people on the road, but he is definitely getting sick. Uh, Rand plays a couple of notes, and I just like that the innkeeper just nods impatiently and says, you'll do. I need something to take those idiots' mind off this low gain. There's been three fights already over whether or not he's the real dragon. And he's been captured at this point. Yeah, and that, that's why there's so many people here. They, everybody wants to see. Got it. And so their fights are all breaking out. <laughs> yeah. So he goes to set up, and all of a sudden he just goes downhill real fast. So they're they're getting ready to perform, mm-hmm. and uh, Matt kept adjusting the scarf around his head, pushing it up, then blinking at the light and tugging it back down again. Rand wondered if he could see well enough to do anything more complicated than juggle three balls. So his his vision's coming back, but it's still pretty sensitive. Yeah. As for himself, all of a sudden he gets sick right here. The queasiness in his stomach grew thicker. He dropped on a low stool, holding his head in his hands. The kitchen felt cold. He shivered. Steam filled the air. Stoves and ovens crackled with heat. His shivers became stronger, his teeth chattering. He wrapped his arms around himself, but it did no good. His bones felt as they were freezing. That sort of bone-hurting chill that's come into him, even though he's in this hot kitchen with the stoves and the ovens going, he is absolutely sick as a dog. And I like that in the next paragraph, it even seems like there's a little bit of time distortion where the the very next line is dimly. He was aware of Matt asking him something, shaking his shoulder and of someone cursing and running out of the room. Then the innkeeper was there uh, skipping a little. He could not make out any of what they said. The words were a buzz in his ears and he could not seem to think at all. Suddenly Matt took his arm, pulling him to his feet. So like this whole thing happens and Rand's just, I mean, I guess he could just be sick and staring at the floor. He, but he totally like can't hear yeah. and and the innkeeper's all pan. He's like, "You're sick. Get the hell out." Yeah, he's like, "If anyone sees you, it'll everyone will leave." Um, and I guess uh, Matt starts. Uh, it does a pretty good job negotiating because he manages to, to get them a place to sleep with the horses and some food. He's like, "Well, he's like, if you don't, well, like I'll push him back out there." Yeah, that that was my assumption. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "You better give me something, or I'm just gonna your whole inn's gonna clear yeah, out once totally. they see how sick this kid is." <laughs> Here I have Matt saying, "He was scared the other folk would find out there was somebody sick in his inn. I told him that if he kicked us out, I'd take you into the common room. That'd empty half his rooms in ten minutes. For all this talk about fools, he doesn't want that." And so they get into the stable. Next thing I have in my note is hot, cold, hot, cold, hallucination. Which <laughs> <laughs> is pretty much what happens. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I've been there. Not that's it, It's sort of like a fever on steroids. Yeah. Like the flu on steroids. Like totally. All two weeks of the flu in like a couple hours. 
pull the blanket up and then you're sweating and you pull it off and you're freezing and you know and matt actually does a decent job of taking care of him which is surprising for a suspicious i mean matt still trusts rand up to this point um so night grows it gets darker um and he starts hallucinating hardcore only marked a little because there's just so there's a lot here you said the chills the hallucinations he starts yelling that Baalzamon is here and Matt's like, no, it's just us. It's just us. And, you know, he, he starts freaking out about the sword because yeah. Matt wants to take it away from him because he's, you know, crazy person. He's with like, the sword. no, no, no. He is my father. He's my father. <laughs> that, that link that he won't give up. There were other visitations in the night while Matt dozed. Rand was never sure if they were really there or not. Sometimes he looked as Matt with his head on his chest, wondering if he would see them too, if he woke. We seen a, a queen accusing him of leaving them behind and that's why they're all dead which mm-hmm. they're not they're not yeah I think that's why th- i don't think this is this is just pure hallucination yeah i don't think there's any meaning to any of this it's just rand's fears and maybe a little bit of that ptsd that you were talking about coming out then moraine saying you have to go to tarvalin like i was saying earlier i really liked uh, when land says and anyone can be a dark friend he smiled a wolf smile and blood poured out of his mouth anyone just yeah, that fear that maybe lands a dark friend, maybe you know, like yeah, sees men being torn apart by Trollocs, like all this crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't even bail Domon cursing him. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, Tam and Rand is trying to ask Tam, like, you have to tell me who I am. Who am I? And he's yelling it. Easy, Rand. Just rest easy. You're Rand Elthor. That's who you are. With the ugliest face and the thickest head on the two rivers. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> the squeal of door hinges roused him fully. But for a moment, he only lay there. Well, this is after the fever broke. Yeah. The, yeah, this is not a hallucination. Yeah. But as you're reading through this, at first, I'm like, is it? Right, uh, right, yeah. right. <laughs> the, the fever breaks first, and then and then he feels this thing. A woman stood there holding it open with one hand, the door. For a moment, she was only a dark shape in a dress, outlined by the faint light of the early morning. And this is, just look this up, Millie something. She takes a different name later, too. She, like, kills someone and takes her identity. She turns up, Millie Skane. That's it. Um, turns up again in, I believe, Ebu Dar. Oh, and I wanted to point out, I thought it was interesting that she's called Millie Skane. I mean, Robert, Robert Jordan does this all the time, but there's a traditional dagger that you see sometimes, um, it, like if uh, like with bagpipers in a parade when they're wearing the full getup. And there's a traditional dagger that's worn like in the sock called a Skane with a G. Mm. That's right, because she's an assassin. Yeah, with, yeah. she's got and this she, dagger. Totally. But I think that's like S-G-H-A-I or something. But yeah, she turns up in Abu Dar. She's working with um, Jacob Cardin, who's uh, one of the, the dark friend White Cloak. Yeah, I went to check her out to see like what other plot lines, and I was, there's like a huge list. I was mm-hmm. forgot what a big character this she is. She shows up a bunch more times throughout the series. There's a scene where Matt follows her from the... Uh, races when he's watching Oliver and he follows her back. Yeah, and she's I think charged, but she's charged with finding the the stash of items of power in Ebudar. That's right. Yeah, and that's that whole what basically she's looking for the Bowl of Winds cash. Yeah, while Elaine is as well. 
she's a big part of that whole uh, Abu Darbal wins. Yeah, I can't even remember that whole plot. All right, so back to the present day. (laughs) She is a nameless woman in a nice dress. About the same age as Nynaeve. Mm -hmm. Wearing a sort of a green silk dress. That shimmered as she moved. Mm -hmm. Nice heavy gold necklace. Here's Jordan talking about clothes. Yeah, always. Like we were talking about earlier. But she does look pretty rich. Yeah. I came to look at my horse, she said, gesturing vaguely at the stalls. Are you ill? He's all right, Matt said stiffly. Perhaps I should look at him. I have some knowledge. And she just she's holding herself confidently, so he and she's dressed nice, so he's like, is she gonna I said, I no. But she sort of looks down over him and she says, You were sick, yes, and still weak as a day old kitten. I think And so she looks at Rand and goes, Oh, this guy's weak. I'll go after Matt. Yeah. He's not weak. So she basically yanks her dagger out and tries to stab Matt. This was kind of weird. I'm one, maybe someone on the internet has something to say about this. We talked about it a little, but she reaches under her cloak, grabs this dagger. Her hand flashed from under her cloak. Something glittered as she lunged across Rand toward Matt. Matt toppled sideways in a flurry of motion, and there was a solid chunk of metal driven into wood. It all took just an instant, and then, then everything was still. Matt lay half on his back, one hand gripping her wrist just above the dagger she had driven into the wall where his chest had been, his other hand holding the blade from Shatter Logoth to her throat. Matt's got fast hands. Yeah. I feel like this is, I mean, other than the juggling, this is the first time we see him outmaneuver an opponent. I don't think it's his luck for a couple of reasons. Yeah, we know he's already fast. Yeah, we know he's fast and... I don't think he's got the luck yet. I think this is just him waking up being... I think he's suspicious. I think that plays a big part into it. He's constantly clutching that dagger. He's constantly got that dagger in his hand. So, (laughs) Then his eyes fell on her dagger, and his mouth went dry. This is what I kind of wanted to throw out there. The wood around the blade was blackening. Thin tendrils of smoke rose from the char. Matt, Matt, her dagger. What the hell is this thing? I'm just really curious. I... I tried looking it up, and no, there doesn't seem to be anything out there. Is it just a, a item of power that doesn't need the power? I Why? Mean, is... I, I think it's a Terra Angriel. There's a lot of Terra Angriel that don't need channeling to work. Yeah. So I just assume, you know, we one of the oaths, the uh, I said I swear, is to make no weapon with the power. Yeah. And I think this is one of the remnants of the items with that was made back during the war it must survived. be it because ha- it's clearly something right but, yeah i couldn't find any information on it i, I was just curious because we don't really see anything else quite like that well no. parents hammer yeah but that's that's not constantly smoking that's just smokes when it hits dark pounds i mean i think it's it's smoking because she stabs it into wood but i mean yes parents yes. hammer only burns shadow spawn right right Whereas this dagger just seems to be hot. Burn everything. Yeah, to burn everything. Which, I don't know, is that really beneficial in a dagger? Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like once you stab somebody, like, they're stabbed. I mean, I don't know. I guess yeah, I was you, curious about yeah, it. I guess if you cook them from the inside, you're going to do more damage. But I underline the description, but it's mm-hmm. probably not that important to read. But I, I don't really see any good, good reference back to this dagger it later looked... on. It just seems to be a random power, object of power. Ordinary if ornate, with a pale ivory hilt and a narrow gleaming blade, no longer than the palm of his hand. Just a dagger. Only he had seen what it could do. 
The hilt was not even warm, but his hand began to sweat. The only thing I'm thinking is that maybe it's a relatively small dagger that wouldn't kill you, and the, the burning does the extra damage. Yeah? Because it's, it's, it's small and hidden, and she's a lady, and so she just has this... Plus two fire damage. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back to school at any age with continuing professional education from the extended campus at UT Austin. Whether you're gaining skills for your current job, seeking a promotion, or considering changing careers altogether, our graduate programs, professional certificates, and skill-building courses can help you with your next step. Get started online by finding the right program for you at extendedcampus.utexas.edu. That's extendedcampus.utexas.edu. In the world of diesel pickups, Shell knows that performance and engine protection are essential. There's never been a better time to experience the Shell Rotella difference. So treat your truck this afternoon and get up to $40 in digital gift cards. Because here and now, where every mile is an adventure, Shell Rotella is engineered for top-notch performance in any condition. Take pride in your truck and get unrivaled protection with up to $40 in digital gift cards. Shell Rotella. Different drives us. Ends May 15, 2024. Terms apply. See rotella.com slash rewards for details. Become a leader for the future and add some burnt orange to your resume at the same time with continuing and professional education from the Extended Campus at UT Austin. The Extended Campus offers programs that will help you gain valuable new skills to support your next promotion or prepare you for a career change. Check out the program finder at extendedcampus.utexas.edu to get started. That's extendedcampus.utexas.edu. Become a leader for the future with the help of UT Austin. And Matt, so Matt has the dagger, the Shadar Logoth dagger at her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, she is lucky he does not nick her. He wants to. He, yeah. Like Matt's about to He's stab about to her. cut her throat. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like you said, she wouldn't even need to do. He could accidentally, accidentally graze her with it and mm-hmm. scratch her a little and she would die. We see it later. Yeah. I think does exactly. it quite a bit. It happens once in farmatting he because he goes after some of the ashaman in farmatting and cuts them because yeah don't they like turn black and yeah, fall apart or something sw- there's like a scene oh, there's a pov scene where he's like he feels a slight cut and looks down and he's like oh huh. oh god and then he dies. <laughs> he's like running because he runs to try and get outside of the city so he can get healed but he takes like three steps and dies oh yeah, yeah. and then i think it happens also when in Camelin during the fog, you remember the fog rolls in, um, and Fane goes after Rand is out visiting the rebel lords from Camelin. Okay, and that's when he gets the second the slash across the side. Uh huh. I think Fane uses the dagger on a few other people. In that. Oh scene. yeah, yeah. We definitely see him kill people with it. So anyway, and I'm sure there's there's a few others. There's like oh, and then when he um when he's in the White Tower, and he he gets he goes why does he go to the White Tower? He's with Elida. He goes to the White Tower, and he goes and gets the dagger from the storage room. Yeah, and he, and he kills an Aes Sedai who shows up because of the alarm, and we get to see her die too. So yeah, he, he pff, yeah, that dagger kills a lot of people, and it's deadly, very deadly. Let me see a little exchange. Rand stops Matt from killing her. They lock her in a room, um, and we see Matt taunt her, taunt her. So you're having trouble with a couple of farm boys. Matt's laugh was grim. Maybe you dark friends aren't as dangerous as I've always heard. He flung open the door to the tack room and stepped back. He like tells her to get in there, and they lock her in. 
Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was, uh, yeah, you know, not a foreshadowing, but so you're having trouble with a couple of farm boys. <laughs> so <does laughs> Maybe the dark, dark friends aren't as dangerous as I've always heard. Oh, I, I wanted to read this quote. This is where Matt's sort of deep in the paranoia. And he goes, she tried to kill me, Rand. She'd have killed you too. She's a dark friend. Matt spat the word. But we're not, Rand said. Mm-hmm. The woman gasped as if she just realized what Matt had intended. We are not, Matt. And I think that's super important for really what makes the evil of Shadar Logoth is this, the difference between sparing your enemies when they're helpless versus killing their enemies. Being ruthless, being murderous is very much in the spirit of the Shadar Logoth. Yeah. It's possible that because she's a dark friend, the evil of the Shadar Logoth recognized that and fought against it a little bit and maybe gave him a, a little boost. I don't know, I'm just speculating there. Could be. And then they run some more. Well, hobble away slowly. Well, isn't there a movie where uh, somebody picks up a guy and goes, can you walk? And he goes, I can run. Matt says, how are your legs? I can't dance, Rand muttered, but I can walk. Oh, no, no, uh, yeah. He looked at the blade in his hands and shuddered. Blood and ashes, I'll run. Yeah, but I feel like it comes up again. I think there's... um. Isn't it like after Rand cuts him down from the tree and he's like, can you walk? Oh, I believe it. I don't remember the... Oh, here we go. I think I found it. And there... Is that a bubble of evil that's happening? This is in Ruidian, mm-hmm. like, way later. But there, uh, like, the sand is coming alive or yep. something? Oh, burn me, Matt muttered. I think we're in trouble, Rand. It's what I get for staying around you. You always get me into trouble. The <laughs> ripples came faster, sliding together to make thicker lines, quivering still. Can you walk faster, Rand asked? Walk, blood and ashes. I can run. Oh shit, that's the same line. Yeah, <laughs> and that's book four in uh, Ruidion. Totally a callback to this this scene. Yeah, but I mean, Rand says it here, but then Matt, that's, Matt says repeats his word, but words back to him. Totally. I wonder if it's meant to be like intentional, like Matt is like remembering I th- that, and I think so. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it's the same line. Yeah, definitely a callback to this situation. Yeah. Um, so they get out a little bit, and they run into uh, the Heimlich maneuver. Um, <laughs> what's his name again? Heim Kinch. Heim Kinch. Yeah, there we go. Yes, Matt nodded. That's right. We're going to see the false dragon. Well, climb on up then. Your friend in the back, if he's sick again, best be on the straw, not up here. Name's Heim Kinch. Good dude. And this is where they get picked up. And so then this this puts us... The beginning and the end of the chapter. The beginning of chapter 33, and yeah, we just loop right back around again. Yeah, this chapter is like a weird circle. It is, inside the other circle. All right, and that's, I don't think I have anything else. No? Yeah, that's the end of that one. This is chapter 34, The Last Village, and the symbol for this one is the Trolloc. Why is it the Trolloc? Well, we see... uh, Later, like in the middle of the chapter, a fade talking with an innkeeper. I don't know if you, there's that uh, like really short oh, okay. scene. Yes, yes, that's right. He's... Where like a shady dude comes out of an alley. And the chapter kicks off with the paragraph we were talking about at the beginning of the last chapter, at the mm-hmm. beginning of chapter 33. Um, I'll read it again. You can just use whatever. Yeah, it just sort of summarizes the last uh, few confusing nights that we've gone through. It was after dark when they reached Carriesford, longer than Rand had thought it would take from what Master Kinch said when he let them down. He wondered if his whole sense of time was getting skewed. 
only three knights since Howell Gold and four kings, two since Pater surprised them in Market Sharan. Just a bare day since the nameless dark friend woman tried to kill them in the stable of the Queen's man. But even that seemed a year ago, or a lifetime. Uh, and that really sums up the last like three chapters. Yeah. Pretty much. And ran skewed sense of time and what we talked about as like I think a purposely confusing couple of chapters with the really weird timelines that like they're not clearly marked in any way. Nothing's like italicized. It's it's does it's not like a traditional flashback. It's like I think supposed to be Rand's perspective. Uh, it's kind of kind of reminded me right now of some of the like portal stone scenes, where tripped out things happen and they're just like living through it. You see their perspective. There were always lights of farmhouses in sight, hedges and rail fences line the roads and beyond. Um, this is what I was talking about before, where the boys are really experiencing urban sprawl for the first time. And I guess the, not, the next thing I see is like Rand sort of moans about sleeping in haystacks and under hedges. Now heroes never have to go through this yeah. in stories. And I'm always like, well, but you are a hero in a story and you're going through it. So this is what heroes do in stories. Yeah. Suffer. Suffer. <laughs> <laughs> it's really been miserable. I like this part. Uh, it's kind of, I, I guess it's not humor, but just Matt um, sort of mumbling and he says, two paces to the span, he muttered. And we, I also thought this was interesting because we've talked, wondered about this with the dis- various distances and how they all yeah. come together. One of the ways he lays out, I think, how big the continent is. Yeah. Two paces to the span, he muttered. A thousand spans to the mile, four miles to the league. I'm not walking another ten paces unless there's a place to sleep at the end of it. Something to eat wouldn't be amiss either. You haven't been hiding anything in your pockets, have you? An apple, maybe? I won't hold it against you if you have. You could at least look. I'm somewhere around where Rand almost loses an eye from a driver's whip. One of the things I noticed when they woke up that morning is there was a cockscrow. Just sort of thinking about Sean Chan Omens. It, they sort of, I think it means somebody's going to die that day. And oh I don't know. God. I was wondering if it plays out I'm or not. that up. Just because we hear about... Uh, yeah, it's just one of those omens that, that they reference later. And I noticed that one. It's like, oh, a cock crowing first thing in the morning. I think that means something in Sean Chan omen language. I guess there was a cock's crow before the first bubble of evil, someone said. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking through the long lists. It sounded good. I wanted it to be true. And then we sort of see the boys fading into the crowd of country bumpkins that have traveled to Camelin to see Tame. Uh, and not just country bumpkins, but I think a lot of people. We see the guards saying that the walls are packed full and the locals being really irritated. Sort of reminds me of the eclipse. Yeah. It's like a rare, like it happens a couple of times in your life and... You have a chance if you live close enough to travel and go see it, and uh, it's really cool and a little dangerous, and makes you sort of go whoa, and everyone has a good time. Yeah, the boys are blending in really well. Yeah, I mean, there's just a bunch of people on the road, and so it's going to be hard. You know, it's like picking a needle out of a haystack. You really can't find, or picking a, a single piece of hay out of a haystack, really. And so, don't they just sit down to rest uh, in the shadows for a bit? Is that that's sort of the next thing I have. 
They're just sort of leaning against a wall, resting. It does say in the shadows, beside a house that stood dark. He was too empty to hunt through the lanes for a way around. And they're just slumped against the wall. Something about the two men at the rim of the shadows made Rand uneasy. He could not put a finger on anything at, at first, but he realized the man on the cart felt the same way about them. He reached to the end of the strap he was checking, adjusted the bit of the, in the horse's mouth, then went back and started over from the beginning again. He kept his head down the whole time, his eyes on what he was doing and away from the other men. It could have been that he was simply not aware of them, though they were less than fifty feet off, except for the stiff way he moved and the way he sometimes turned awkwardly in what he was doing, so he would not be looking toward them. No, that's... <laughs> I wasn't looking for the scene with the mirror drill. I thought it was right there. That, that was it, with two men. Oh, one of the men in the shadows was only a black shape, but the other stood more into the light with his back to Rand. Even so, it was plain he was not overjoyed at the conversation he was having. Because he, he's talking to a fade. Yeah. <laughs> he wrung his hand and kept his eyes on the ground, jerking his head in a nod now and then at something the other had said. Rand could not hear anything, but he got the impression that the man in the shadows was doing all the talking. The nervous man just listened and nodded and wrung his hands anxiously. And then we see this guy in a second. The fade disappears into the shadows. And we see this guy talking to um, repairing a, or a man next to a cart. Raymond Holdwin? I think that's the name of the guy who was talking to the fade. Yeah. Strange friends you've got there, Raymond Holdwin, the man by the cart said suddenly. It was an old man's voice, but strong. The speaker straightened, shaking his head. Strange friends in the dark for an innkeeper. The nervous man jumped when the other spoke looking around as if he had not seen the cart and the other man until right then. And what do you mean by that, Almond Blunt? He's from Four Kings, looking for a couple of thieves, young men. They stole a Heron Mark sword from him. So this is the Fade, basically, coming from the Four Kings, you know, along with yeah. all the other dark friends, trying to track down the boys. And he's, this is what... Read this information. This is what he's sort of telling all the dark friends along the way. You know, this is these are what you're looking for. You know, they got a Heronmark blade. You know, they know a few things about them, but not much. That's probably how Pater heard about them. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I think the Fade must have told him what he knew. A hundred crowns in gold for the two of them. That's just a lie. <laughs> it's probably just killed them both. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll know them when I see them, Hold, Holdwin said confidently. Just don't try to take them yourself. No need for anyone to get hurt. Come tell me if you see them. My friend will deal with them. A hundred crowns for the two, but he wants the pair. This guy, Bunt, clearly doesn't even believe him. Oh, yeah. He's like, that's a ridiculous amount of money. A hundred crowns for the two, Bunt mused. How much for the sword he wants so bad? So he's just basically mocking this guy, being like, you're an idiot. Like, yeah. If you believe these promises, you're, you've clearly got something wrong with you. Rand just kind of decides to walk out of the shadows. Matt says, are you crazy, Rand? He'll recognize us for sure. You'd rather stay here with a fade around? How far do you think it will get on foot before it finds us? He tried not to think of how far they would get in a cart if it found them. But he walks over to the driver, who assumes they're some young kids going to see the dragon. Oh, but he knows them a ride. He knows who they are. He knows they're exactly who they're the guy's looking for. Do you think so? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's like, Oh, you're going to Camelin to see the dragon. Uh-huh. I mean, he's just so sarcastic the entire conversation <laughs> with the innkeeper. Oh, 100 gold coins. Sure. How much for the sword? Yeah, you're a dumbass. And then these boys walk up and they're like, oh, you going to Camelin, are you? Nice Heronmark sword you got there. 
I think he knows as soon as he sees them. And he's just, he doesn't like the other guy very much. And just gives them a ride almost to spite him. <laughs> Bunk goes on to brag about how Camelin is one of the greatest cities in the world. And it really is. I wanted to ask about this. There's a line where Rand says, the false dragon. He's correcting him. Yeah. I wonder if he's just, he's doing that for cover to be like, no, no, I, it's the false dragon. I don't believe he's the dragon. I'm not dragon sworn, you know, or if he's just like, I don't know. That's, that just seems an odd thing for him to emphasize. It was kind of funny. Yeah. I don't know why he bothers to say anything. Bunt nodded. Of course, of course. He threw a sideways look at the inn and abruptly shoved his staff back back under the cart seat. Well, if you want to ride, get in. I've wasted enough time. And that's him considering turning them over. You think? Thinking about it. Not I'm not seriously considering it, but just like looking at the end and being like, I could turn the boys over. Nah, screw it, get in, let's go. <laughs> he threw a sideways look at the end, so he sort of glances over, and then abruptly he shoves his staff back under the cart seat. So that's him being like, all right, fine, let's go. All right, here, here's the sequence of events. Rand walks up to him and says, I couldn't help but over here you're going to Camelin. Blunt jerks his quarter staff out, kind of looks at them, goes, oh, you're going to see the dragon. They say, the false dragon. And he goes, uh-huh. Looks over at the end goes, fine, let's go. Puts the quarterstaff away. It's very quick, but I think he's very much making a decision there. Maybe. I don't know. I, yeah. I could be reading into so that a little bit. more innocent than that. You think he's just seeing two boys and giving them a ride? Yeah. He just had that conversation, literally seconds <laughs> I know. before they walk out. I think he has to know that the boys... It's a weird scene. I don't know what to that, think of that. ...that he's looking for. He absolutely knows that the boys, and he makes a decision to take them anyway. Bun seemed to feel the oppression of the night, too, for he suddenly spoke up, and they just take off. I think the next couple of pages are basically a lot of background information about Camelin and the royal family and Morgase and He tells Elaine a lot of and, yeah, things yeah. that have been happening. They hear about Elida. And right. uh, if the worst happened, this Elida might help them reach Tarvalon. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh boy. Yeah. She'll, well, um, she'll try help him reach Tarvalon in a box. The guy mentions at one point randomly, bloody ravens don't even wait for things to die. People are scared. Mm-hmm. We seen saw that in uh, a chapter or two ago. The royal family. Right, the tree getting chopped down. Yeah. The Aiel War. Who's the father of Elaine and Egwene? And Rand has a weird dream. I don't... Yeah, I didn't really know what to think of this. When he looked over his shoulder, it was Tom on the litter, not his father, sitting cross-legged and juggling in the moonlight. The queen is wed to the land, Tom said, brightly colored balls danced in a circle. But the dragon, the dragon is one with the land, and the land is one with the dragon. Further back, Rand saw a fade coming, black cloak undisturbed by the wind, horse ghosting silently through the trees. Two severed head, heads hung at the Myrdral's saddle bow. Dripping blood that ran darker streams down its mound's coal-black shoulder, land in moraine, faces distorted in grimaces of pain. The fade pulled on a fistful of tethers as it rode. Each tether ran back to the bound wrists of those who ran behind, the soundless hooves. Their faces blank with despair. Matt and Perrin and Aguin. I, I honestly, I just, I'm reading through this and I don't have much to say about it. To me, it's, it's kind of really just sounds weird. like a dream. He wakes up and he's still in the cart, but he's actually still dreaming. Mm-hmm. 
And then a shape blacker than the night rested on his chest with the raven. You are mine, the raven said, and a sharp beak stabbed into his eye. He screamed as it plucked his eyeball out of his head. He wakes up. No blood or pain. I guess it's a regular dream. Yeah, I don't. I, I honestly, like, it just looks like a regular dream to me. Other than the whole, the queen is wed to the land, but the dragon is one with the land, and the land is one with the dragon. Yeah. Which, of course, is him saying the queen has to wed the dragon. It's the like, raven. it's definitely foretelling him marrying uh, Elaine. Yeah. But then there's the raven, which I don't, you know, you are mine. Is that supposed to represent the dark one? I just, I don't, I can't pull anything out of this. Me neither. Beheaded Lana Moraine doesn't mean anything to me. We do see Egwene die, though. That's, that's, might be a little foretelling. It is weird and interesting to read. Yeah, it's, it's a cool <laughs> dream sequence, but I, I don't have, I can't it, find any meaning in it whatsoever. I don't think it's foretelling or anything. I think it's just a twisted dream. And then they arrive in Gamelin. He wakes up on the back of a moving cart. As they pull into the city. Yeah. It's, of course, an analog for the King Arthur city of Camelot. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? In the world of diesel pickups, Shell knows that performance and engine protection are essential. There's never been a better time to experience the Shell Rotella difference. So treat your truck this afternoon and get up to $40 in digital gift cards. Because here and now, where every mile is an adventure, Shell Rotella is engineered for top-notch performance in any condition. Take pride in your truck and get unrivaled protection with up to $40 in digital gift cards. Shell Rotella. Different drives us. Ends May 15, 2024. Terms apply. See rotella.com slash rewards for details. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.